If you go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, we're going to pick up where we left off uh, last Sunday night. We didn't quite get finished with that. If you have your outline with you, you can get it out and kind of finish filling in the blanks. Um, I don't have any other outlines, so if you don't have one with you, you can just jot some notes down on something if you like. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through 32. The title of the, of the study that we began last week was Live Like You Mean It. Live like you mean it. And we, I told you last week, remember, I had, we talked about clotheslines. You remember that? I, had, and I didn't have any clothespins, but I found out some of y'all have clothespins. But I said, if we could hang three truths up, those three truths that we would hang up would really help you understand all that, that Paul is trying to say in this text. And the, tree, the three truths that we would hang up are verses 17, verse 22, and verse 24. Let's just read those to rehearse the text for ourselves, verse 17, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, that is those who are lost, in the futility of their thinking. And in verse 22, skip down to verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And then in verse 24, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now what Paul was saying, and I'm just going to rehearse in about two sentences before we get into the new material. What Paul is saying in, in these verses, if we had time to go back and look at it a little bit deeper. He's saying there is an undeniable distinction between a Christian and a non-believer. And he outlines for us in this text the undeniable distinction between the Christian and and the non-believer. And if you've got your notes, you can follow along. Uh, we said that, that a non-believer thinks differently, verses 17 and 18. A non-believer feels differently, verses 18 and 19. And a non-believer acts differently than a Christian, verse 19 as well. And then, uh, that's all last week, then Paul says, You, however, verse 20, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. You, however, are different from the non-believer, from the way the non-believer thinks, from the way the non-believer feels, from the way the non-believer acts. You, however, are believers. You, however, are followers of Christ. And because of that, there should be some things that are different. So let's pick up the word in verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you have heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be, to, made new, to be made new in the attitude of your what? Your minds, because you're going to think differently, because you're different from those who are lost. And to put on the new self, created to be like what? Created to be like God, and notice this phrase, in true righteousness and holiness. In true righteousness and holiness. Then he says, therefore, verse 25, therefore, based on everything that he said so far, therefore, each of you must put off some things. Because he told us a minute ago, put off some things from the old nature. So he says, therefore... Each of you, not, the, not your neighbor. You know, when we start talking about these things in just a moment, it's going to be awful easy if you say, boy, I'm glad he's here tonight because he really needed that. I'm going to make sure that she gets a copy of this because she needs to hear this. But that's not what Paul says. Therefore, 
each of you. What does each of you imply? Yeah, it implies everyone. It implies all of us. It implies, listen to this, it implies we all have our struggles from time to time, don't we? Therefore, each of you, Paul says, there's some things you need to put off. And I described it last week this way. I said there are five different sins that Paul names that seep into our lives. Five things we need to be careful about that can seep into our lives. Now, help us define this word. What does the word seep mean? How would you describe seep? I, I heard it, but I didn't understand. Little by little, that's good. Slowly and what? Slowly enter. When something seeps in, you really sometimes don't even notice it until it's already happened. Just kind of slowly enters. You just kind of seeps in, and all of a sudden, there it is. Water can seep into a basement. It's not like you see this gushing river running into your basement. It just kind of slowly seeps in. In the same way, there are, Paul mentions five sins that can seep into your heart, into your life, into your marriage. And I, I don't know why, but I keep having this thought, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I've had it all afternoon. I have often used, the text I'm about to read to you, I have often used in marital counseling. If you're having problems in your marriage, you need to live in this text we're about to read. Now, I want to be very clear, this text was not written about a marriage, but the five sins that seep into our lives not only affect us, they also affect those closest to us, many times being our marriage partner. Those five sins that seep into our lives can cause us to have problems with one another, those closest to us, can cause us to have problems in the church can cause us to have problems with one another in the church. So these five sins are sins we need to guard against and take action on. So let's, let's see what they are. Therefore, verse 25, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So if you've got your notes, that first blank there, that L, is lying. Paul says the first sin that can seep into your life, the first sin that can cause damage in your life or in your marriage even in our church the first sin is the sin of lying now let me give you a little definition of lying a lie is a statement that is contrary to fact spoken with the intent to deceive listen to that again a lie is a statement that is contrary to fact spoken with the intent to deceive now that last word is an important word, deceive. Does that sound like anything from the Bible or anyone in the Bible? Satan. John chapter 8, I believe it's verse 40 or 44. John chapter, John chapter 8, verse 44. Somebody read it, find it for us and read it real quickly. John 8, 44, ready, set, go. Who's the first one Bible drill? John 8, 44, stand up and read it to us. Yes, sir, thank you. Read it real loud, Andy. There you go. 
The devil is a liar and the father of lies. So anytime that we allow lying to seep into our hearts and into our lives and even into our marriages, whenever we engage in lying, we are indeed uh, allowing the father of lies to have his way. Now, let me be clear about something. If I tell you that it's one o'clock and I later discover that my watch battery is dead and I was wrong, I haven't lied to you. But if I tell you it's one o'clock because I want to make sure that you miss your meeting, then I have lied to you. I have an evil intent. I intend to deceive you. Then that becomes a lie. Now, before we get into this too far, let me give you just a little bit of a Greek lesson because I want you to see something that's powerful that he says in this verse. An aorist tense in the Greek language, an aorist tense means an action completed in the past. All right, say that an aorist tense means an action completed in the past. When Paul said, put off falsehood, look what he says, verse 20, therefore each of you must put off falsehood. That phrase put off is in the aorist tense in the Greek language. Now here's what he means. Having put off falsehood back then, in the past, you put off falsehood when you decided to follow, listen to this, you put off falsehood when you decided to follow Jesus who is the truth. You became a follower of the truth. You became a follower of Jesus who is truth. And at that moment, when you became a follower of Jesus who is truth, at that moment back then, you put off falsehood. And so this is why he says what he does. Basically, he's saying this. You know what? At different junctures of life, you shouldn't have to debate whether or not you're going to tell the truth about something. It's not like, okay, well, you know, when I get to work and, you know, oh, man, you know, when I get to work and the pressure's on, you don't have to debate whether or not you're going to tell the truth there. Or, Or, guys... In, in your relationship with your wife and she asks you a question and you know it's easier to lie than tell the truth. You know that if you tell the truth, it's going to be bad. You know that the best way to smooth things over, yeah, is just tell a lie. And you're living like the devil when you do. <laughs> Preach it now. Yeah, you've seen it. All right. Listen to me, listen to me. The first sin that was judged in the, in the early church was the sin of lying. We don't have time to read it, but in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, God brought severe judgment to the church, to the early church, because of lying. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Lying to each other disrupts unity. It creates conflicts. It destroys fellowship. Remember this. Speaking the truth. Listen, let me just summarize it this way. Speaking the truth gives God a chance to work. Telling a lie allows Satan to go to work. So in your marriage. In your marriage, if you speak the truth, you're allowing God a chance to work. If you're telling a lie, if you're lying to your spouse, you're allowing the devil a chance to go to work. So Paul says this way, verse 25, 
Therefore, each of you put, must put off falsehood. Be done with that. Put that away. Uh, don't get to certain junctures in your life and try to decide if you're going to tell the truth or not. Just put off falsehood and be done with it. And speak truthfully to his neighbor. And here's the reason. For we're all members of one body. We're going to hurt one another if we're lying to one another. I wish we had a little more time to talk about that one. But let me go on to the next one because this next one, I'm going to plow close to the corn. Verse 26 and 27, he talks about the next sin that seeps into our life is the sin of anger. Sin of anger. Verse 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, it's interesting to me, read that verse a hundred times. So interesting to me that there is not a prohibition against anger in these verses. What I mean by that is, when you read that verse, Paul did not say anywhere in that verse, do not get angry. Anger is an emotional response. Anger is an emotional response that's caused by something that displeases us. Anger is something that we all experience, right? Come on now, be honest with me. Here's the big question. Is anger in itself a sin? No, it's not. In fact, the Bible says in many passages, you, you can look it up with the concordance, in many passages it says that God was angry, or it talks about the anger of God, and God doesn't sin. Jesus, when he cleansed the temple, the Bible says in, he was angry when he cleansed the temple in, in Matthew chapter 20, uh, 21. But let's be honest about this. We would describe God's anger or the anger of Jesus as holy wrath or righteous indignation. That's the way it's been described before. It's difficult for us to practice holy wrath or righteous indignation because our emotions are tainted by sin. We might think, well, I've just got righteous indignation about this. Well, you, you might, but probably for too long, it's going to go way beyond that. Because our emotions are tainted by sin. I, I love this quote I found by Aristotle. Listen to what he says. Anyone can become angry, but to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, in the right way, this is not easy. He's, he's, he's right. It's, it's not easy. Paul doesn't tell us, though, do not be angry. He says, just be careful what you do with your anger. And, folks, if you look in those, in those verses, uh, Paul gives us three do-nots. In verse 26 and 27, I want you to tell me what they are. Three times he says, do not, in those two verses. What are the three do nots about anger? All right, he says, first of all, do not sin. I'll talk about what that, what that means. Then what did he say? Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. And what's the third do not? Do not give the devil foothold. Let's camp out here for a while because this one is so practical. First of all, he said, do not sin. Look how he describes it. In your anger... He didn't say, don't be angry. He knows we're going to be angry from time to time. So he warns us, counsels us, in your anger, do not sin. In other words, do not let your anger lead you into sin. Do not let your anger kind of have its way with your emotions where you, you start doing sinful things or saying or thinking sinful things. So in your anger... Make sure that there's a stop sign there so that you don't continue into sin. 
So how do we do that? How, how do we make sure there's a stop sign there so that we don't continue into sin? The, the second do not. He says this. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. One, one guy had the audacity to say that he and his wife had never gone to bed angry. He said, now we've had some sleepless nights, but we've never gone to bed angry. <laughs> In your anger, he says, do not sin. And then he says, do not let the sun go down while you're angry. Well, what do you think that means? Talk to me. You, you teach the lesson for a minute. What does that mean? Don't let the sun go down on your anger or while you're angry. Get it settled before you go to sleep. Why? It'll fester, exactly. Yeah, that's right. You're not going to sleep well anyway. And if you don't get it settled and it festers, what, what ha- begins to happen to you? Which is the very next thing, isn't it? He said the very next thing is, and do not give the devil a foothold in your life. Do you see the progression? In your anger, do not sin. There's the first stop sign. Then he says, but if you are angry, don't let the sun go down on your anger. There's a second stop sign. Because if, if, you, if you're not careful, you'll give the devil a foothold. I'm going to tell you something. He doesn't need much of a space to ruin your life. He, does, he just needs a crack in the window before he's already in the house. You don't need to leave the window open very much before he comes in. So he says, be very careful about in the area of anger. We all struggle with anger. He says, in that area, settle it. Be done with it. Don't give the devil a foothold. A grudge nourished in your heart is a great opportunity for the devil to sow discord in your, in your life. To sow discord in the church. To sow discord in your marriage. You need to settle that, those things that have made you angry. You need to deal with it. Then in verse 28, it talks about the third sin that seeps into our life. It's the sin of stealing. Verse 28, He who has, who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Finish this sentence for me. Finish the sentence. Thou shalt not... Isn't that interesting? In the, in the Ten Commandments... God says, okay, we need to put one in there about stealing. There's something in our fallen nature that lures us to take what is not rightfully ours. There's something about our fallen nature that tends to say, I want that. I know it doesn't belong to me, I know it's not mine, but I want that. There's something in our fallen nature that that seems to say, okay, it's okay for me to take this. It's okay for me to, to do this. There's something in our fallen nature that thinks stealing is okay. Now, now some of you are saying, there, well, I can cruise through this, and I don't have a problem with stealing. Let me check your tax returns and see if you're real honest about everything. Let me look at your iPod or your iPad. or uh, You got any music you didn't pay for? Or... Let me look at your expense account and see if you really did do everything you said you did on that expense account. 
And there's a whole other list. You could keep going and going and going. And I'm not accusing you. I'm just asking you to think through this. It's easy for us to say, oh, I don't steal. But if we need to take the time to say, no, wait a minute. Let me think through this. What was Paul's counsel here when he said, he didn't just say don't steal, but he gave two pieces of advice here. What did he say? Verse 28. Don't steal, but he said do what? Work. You must no longer steal, but must work. Doing something useful with his own hands. And then what was the second counsel? Yeah, this is, this is very interesting to me. Paul says, okay, here's the way that you handle this, this sin of stealing. Number one, you need to work. You, you, just need to, you just need to get to work with your own hands. Stop stealing, which is kind of... He didn't say you shouldn't steal. What did he say? He said stop stealing. What does stop stealing imply? Yeah, yeah. He said, okay, guys, whoa, 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 stop stealing. Now, here, here's the way you resolve this problem. Number one, you need to work. Work with your own hands, not to take something from somebody, but to provide for your needs. But I love the next thing. He says, and so that you can share with somebody who is in need. You know what that does? That takes the emphasis off of you, and it puts the emphasis on others. Instead of being self-focused and say, I want that, I need that, i got to have that, Paul says, just get to work and start trying to share, and it'll change your focus from you to others. You won't be so self-centered. And then he says in verse 29, here's the one that you probably, if you had the notes from last week, you say, well, I figured out all those little blanks except for that one. I'm not sure what that one is. Here's what it is. Cross words. Cross words. Verse 29, another sin that seeps into our lives. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen now i don't know about you but i want i want you to look at that verse verse 29 i want you to pick out what you think is the most difficult word in that verse it may not be the most difficult for somebody else but i've got a word in that verse that's the most difficult word maybe you can find one too what would you say is the most difficult word as far as you trying to live out this this verse What's the most difficult word for you in verse 29? Unwholesome, you'd say unwholesome, okay. Any. Yeah, that's, that's the one, you know. I, I, <laughs> any backs me into a corner. I don't have a whole lot of leeway there when he says any. Let's read it carefully. Do not let any, I, I hate that word. It'd be better if he'd just say, do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I, I feel okay about that because sometimes I could justify it. Come on, you know you're the same way. Sometimes you feel justified, right? Sometimes I could justify it. But he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Now, now what does unwholesome mean? Well, it's an interesting word. It really means corrupt or worthless. If you look for a definition, it means corrupt or worthless. But I found out it's the same word that is used in other places to describe rotten fruit. Rotten fruit's not good for a whole lot. Can't do a whole lot with rotten fruit. It's not very productive. So Paul says, do not let any unwholesome, rotten, fruited talk come out of your mouths. But only, only is a lot like any. 
but only what is helpful for building others up. But there's sometimes I don't want to build them up. Right? There's sometimes I just want to tear them down. And that's the sin that so easily seeps into our heart. That we're somehow justified in what we're going to say. Paul says, no, don't let it come out of your mouth unless it's building them up. If you're tearing them down, that's a sin you need to deal with. That's one of the reasons I use this verse in marriage counseling. Husbands and wives, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only what is helpful for building others up according, look at this, according to their needs. I'm not concerned about their needs. I'm more concerned about my need. I have the need to express something. I feel the urge to express something. Paul says, well, just put a bridle on it. Put a cork in it. Unless it's going to build them up. According to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Well, I've got to finish. Let me go on to the last one. The last one is bitterness. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. That word all is a lot like any too. That word all is, is, is one of those words you say. Could, could we take an eraser to that right there? You know, would it be okay, God, if I just kind of erased that word all because my bitterness is justified in this situation? My bitterness is real and my hurt is valid. I don't like that word all. That is a sin that so easily uh, seeps into our hearts and our lives. Paul says, get rid of. You can't have it around. You, You can't justify it. You can't play with it. You can't say it's okay. Get rid of, not some, not most. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger brawling, a slander, along with every form of malice. I I tell you what, he just made a big list there, didn't he? Paul said, all of that stuff, it doesn't belong there. You're not to live like the lost people live. You're not to think the way they think. You're not to speak the way they speak. You're, You're not like a lost person. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. So get rid of these things. And then he says, verse 32, with this I close. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Uh, there's, there's a whole other Bible study in those last few verses, but let's just do this. Let's just bow our heads in prayer for a moment. I, I just want to pray with you and talk with you through this last few verses we've read. If bitterness has taken root in your life already, if bitterness has taken root in your heart, if you're sitting here tonight and you are bitter towards another person, God's Word says, get rid of it. Get rid of all of it. Get rid of all bitterness, all rage, all anger, all brawling, all slander, and every form of malice. It does not belong in your life. It does not belong in your heart. It does not belong in your marriage. It does not belong in your church. 
get rid of it. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is to unclench your fist even as we're praying and say, God, I give it to you. I give to you my hurt. I give to you my anger. I give to you my rage. I give to you my bitterness. Please forgive me of this sin that has seeped into my heart and seeped into my life. And Lord, I turn loose of it. And I need your forgiveness. And I need your power. And I need you to help me to forgive them. Just as in Christ, God, you forgave me. And help us to do that, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.